Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist. Here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Welcome back to another episode of the Luxury Listing Specialist podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lafito. And uh, remember to check out our previous episodes on iTunes or Stitcher, or you can go to Luxury Listing podcast.com, luxurylistingpodcast.com. Uh, just let's go over a couple housekeeping items here. If you have any questions for me or if you uh, want to suggest a topic or you think somebody would be a great guest, go ahead and email me, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com. Last but not least, if you're interested in our free luxury blueprint along with video checklist and three-part video series, Text the word LUX, L-U-X-E, to 72000. Again, text L-U-X-E to 72000. All right, let's get that out of the way. Let's get right into things. I'm, welcome back to another episode. I'm, like I said, your host, Michael Lafito. This guest I'm really excited about having. Uh, as you know, we have top influencers. We have rock star luxury agents with, with independence, big brands. And we also have influencers and, and leaders of, of, of national franchises and powerful companies. And I'm, I'm excited to have Simon Chen today, who's the president and CEO of ERA. Uh, he's got a very impressive resume. Um, and welcome, first off, Simon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And um, you come. You have a real estate agent background. You were the CEO of Realty One Group, which is uh, in, uh, in California. And t- tell everybody a little bit about your background and, and how, uh, how you ended up now the president and CEO of uh, one of the most powerful companies in the world. Sure, thanks. Um, so I actually started out my career uh, in investment banking, ironically, um, in the primarily technology and, and medical space. So the short story there is that I was meant to be a doctor, and I disappointed my parents greatly by not becoming a doctor and ending up going into investment banking for the medical sector, which expanded to other technology stuff, as I'll call it. Um, And, you know, when I was working within the investment bank, actually, um, I ended up wanting to get some operating experience. And so I joined a dot-com that we'd invested in out in California, and that was my ticket to get out to California. Uh, And so I worked there for quite a while doing IT consulting. So, you know, I like to say that my background really is in technology. Um, The way I found my way to real estate is uh, when the dot-com bubble expanded and everybody thought that they were going to make a lot of money, and then when that bubble burst and everybody found out they weren't going to make a lot of money, uh, I was sort of licking my wounds, and I, I moved down to Los Angeles, and I said, you know what, the next company that I start is going to have assets that I can kick and touch and feel. And I'd been investing in real estate um, you know, while I was in investment banking as just sort of a, a passive uh, investment stream. Um, and so I started a real estate company because I you know, firmly believe in helping everyone fulfill the American dream of you know, buying real estate and, and it, viewing it as sort of the best investment they can have. And so that's where I've been for the last you know, 20 some odd years is at that weird 
intersection between real estate and technology. So I've had roles like uh, working in corporate development and strategy at Realtor.com and then ultimately made my way over to Realty One Group and now to ERA. Um, the thrust being always, you know, how can we make the consumer experience in buying real estate better? Uh, and, you know, I believe technology is a huge enabler to that, and being here at ERA, which is part of Realogy, uh, is a great way to do that because obviously as the largest real estate company in the world, uh, we have resources that I never could have dreamed of, at, you know, running my own brokerage for 15 years. Uh-huh. So the experience is really important. We've talked about this. We've had previous guests. They've really talked about, you know, improving the the buyer experience, the seller experience. Um, here at the Luxury Listing Specialist, we do focus so much on the listing side of things, but um, but the experience, whether it be entry level or luxury, is so important. Um, you bring to the table a a very lengthy experience with working with Chinese buyers. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that because today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the Chinese buyers and cyber currency and, and that sort of thing. So talk to us a little bit about um, your experience with Chinese buyers and, and even how um, you as the president and CEO of ERA, um, how you um, without let, letting cats out of the bag, so to speak, but how do you, you know, target um, some of these foreign buyers? Right. Um, so, you know, I wish I could say that it was brilliance or genius or anything like that that, you know, made my own brokerage successful in, in servicing Chinese buyers, but it actually came from very humble, very simple beginnings, which is, you know, usually how the best stories start, I guess. Um, when I started that brokerage, I, being of Chinese-American descent and speaking Mandarin Chinese, um, always felt like that was an underserved market because I had friends and relatives coming over from Taiwan and China that obviously didn't speak English, and therefore I was, I was helping them out, right? And if you are anybody, whether you, you know, are... Uh, regardless of, I guess, price point, I should say, um, and you're speaking a foreign language when you come into the U.S., obviously you are at a distinct disadvantage in even looking at listings if you don't know how to speak English. And therefore, having somebody you know, in the U.S. that could actually help them through that process and spoke their language was a huge benefit. So that's number one. I don't you know, thank anybody other than my parents, basically, for teaching me Chinese you know, growing up and then being able to retain that skill. The second thing is, this was about 17 years ago, I guess, or so, so when I started the company, um, I wish there were all these sophisticated technologies that we use nowadays here at ERA through our distinctive properties offering to help our uh, you know, agents and our brokers basically service the international luxury theater. Um, back then, it was very simple. If you came to the U.S. from China or Taiwan and you wanted to read a Chinese language newspaper, there was really only one or two that you found. And so typically you hit the ground, you went to Chinatown, you bought this newspaper, and you read it. And so it was very simple for me. I just advertised in that newspaper for $38 a week. I still remember that. Um, and just said, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a Chinese-speaking former investment banker, real estate agent uh, that would love to help you, you know, look, in a, look for and acquire and manage properties uh, here in the U.S. And that set my phone a ringing, you know. Um, and so it started very simply. I think... It's evolved quite a bit since then, obviously, and a lot of that is the advent of technology. Um, so now, whether it's GUI or other sites, 
uh, in China, for example, um, you can see inventory from all across the U.S. that has been translated for you. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that we at ERA do for our clients on distinctive properties. We syndicate that listing uh, and have it translated into 55 different countries and about 120 international websites. Um, so it's, you know, it's the Uber version of the, that $38 a week newspaper, but now it's actually going to them in their home country so that they can browse inventory and look at a lot of the listings, you know, on their own time and, and at their own leisure. Well, you brought up a couple things. So first off, translating to their native language, um, you know, when, when these properties are syndicated is huge. Um, you also talked yep. a little bit about um, your distinctive properties division. I should have started with sure. that, but, but uh, <laughs> obviously ERA, uh, we've had, uh, you know, different CEOs on, different luxury d- division leaders, and uh, every brand kind of defines luxury different. Let's, and uh, mm-hmm. offline, we were talking a little bit. Of, and so your luxury division at ERA is known as distinctive properties. That's right. Um, so, ta- yeah, talk sorry, to me ahead. a little bit about you know the, the properties themselves and how you define or how does a property qualify to be a distinctive property? Sure. So, what is a little bit unique about distinctive properties for us at ERA is that it's not necessarily a specific price threshold, okay? So we're not saying, hey, it needs to be in the, you know, six or seven figures or whatever much more um, in order to qualify for that because we believe that in any market there are quote-unquote luxury or distinctive properties in that market. And so depending on the market, that could be, you know, if you're in San Francisco, a distinctive property could be in the, you know, the tens of millions of dollars or in downtown Manhattan or what have you, whereas if you're, you know, in Montana or Las Vegas or something, the price point could be substantially lower. And so it's important for us, because our brokers and agents service a wide spectrum of price ranges, that we don't necessarily um, focus on a specific dollar figure so much as, you know, a proportion of the market. And so the way we look at it is, by and large, it's about the, the top 10% of the market, right? Well, it's, and, it's all relative is what I hear you saying. That's and, right. And, and, and we, dis, we define for our certification, luxury listing specialist, we define high-end homes as being two times whatever the average sale price is for that given market, and we define luxury homes as being three times whatever the average sale price is for that given market. So if the average sale sure. price is 250 a high-end home, according to our certification, would be 500 grand and above, and luxury with that same 250 average sale price would be 750 So a lot of similarities, uh, Simon, with uh, ERA's uh, definition, so it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's all relative. You're exactly right. You're exactly right, you know. Um, and so we certify either the property or the agent or both. Um, so the agents have to go through a certification. Uh, there's an annual fee. Uh, but what it gets them is uh, an expanded sort of toolbox, if you will, of marketing materials, collateral, uh, and even a separate website. So the distinctive properties appear on our ERA distinctive properties website, uh, and it has a really cool gadget, for example. Uh, you know, I'm the tech guy, so I get excited about this sort of thing, uh, where you can do virtual staging. So you can look at any property as you're browsing through and looking at the property, and let's say hey, you know, I like the house, but I wish it had different floors or different countertops or different paint or different cabinets or what have you. 
you can do those sorts of things. If you want to go in and, you know, start to move around some of the furniture and do some of the virtual staging, et cetera, you know, those sorts of things are available to you. And so, you know, when you and I were talking offline, I think from our own personal experience, we've seen that when we show buyers or prospective buyers a property, that the vast majority of them, your number was 90%, and I don't, I don't doubt that at all, uh, the vast majority of people, whether they're on the buy or the sell side, just don't have that artistic ability or vision to be able to imagine a property in any way other than the way it's currently presented, which is obviously mm-hmm. why staging is so prevalent in the industry now and becoming increasingly prevalent right? Because you really need to be able to present the property in its sort of highest and best state so that people can envision what it might be like to live there without having to redecorate it, for example. You're absolutely right. We talk about how you position the home so that the majority of buyers can mentally, you know, picture themselves moving in. And, uh, you know, whether it be a property that is very dated, whether it be a taste-specific home, the way you live in your home, Simon, the way I live in our home, my, my wife and I live in our home is to our style, to our decorating. But when you go to sell a home, you want to use timeless classics, right? You you don't want to be blah neutral, but it's safer to be a little blah than yep. very risque, so to speak. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, because the likelihood that you're going to find somebody that is exactly like you is obviously you know, quite small. That's the whole point of all of us being unique. And therefore, making it as appealing to as broad a spectrum of people uh, is the key to any sort of staging approach. Yeah, really is, really is. Uh, great. Um, the other thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is uh, t- talk to me about the experience with Jawai. Sure. So uh, Juai is one of those sites, there's a couple few that are on the other side of the great data wall of China, as they call it, or the great firewall of China. So not a lot of sites are able to be um, sort of on the other side of the wall and allow Chinese nationals to be able to view the website. Um, and that is one of their great fortes. And so they have a U.S. presence, um, but agents can actually then, uh, you know, register to have their listings syndicated over to Juai so that, you know, folks in China can actually see them because websites like ours or websites like, you know, Realtor.com or what have you, um, you can't get to if you're in China. Right, right. Okay. So it's that that barrier getting on, like you said, the Great Wall, right, getting on the other side of the wall so that your properties can be even viewed. There's even eyeball traffic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of those kinds of things where it's it's either happening or it's not, right? And the Chinese government obviously cracks down quite heavily in terms of what sites are viewable uh, within China. And so Juai is one of those that is, you know, built out the presence, um, but also the permissions to be able to, to operate a site uh, in China. Mm-hmm. And languaging. You talked about having, you know, websites, you know, flyers, printable materials. Talk to me a little bit about have, have your agents, you know, even when you're creating special feature sheets for actual showings or, or flyers and brochures, um, you know, having different, different brochures and flyers in, in different languages based on, you know, the likelihood of a potential buyer coming from, you know, that language. For example, I'm based in Chicago, the melting pot. So we have, you know, we have a lot of different, you know, speaking nationalities here and having, you know, different collaterals and, and various languages just based on, you know, who, who the potential buyer is. Sure. Um, so I think that's very, very important, um, particularly given 
the uh, well, I'll, I'll use an example that isn't even a, a an ERA listing. Um, so my wife and I were on vacation last year in in Venice, and so we're doing the tourist thing. We're sitting on the gondola with our daughter and everything, and they had these um, canal front properties for sale. And I didn't even know what the listing company was, but it wasn't one that I recognized. And I thought it was really, really interesting that the sign that was right there on the water was in Italian, or in Italian, but then also in Chinese, <laughs> which obviously shows you that you know Chinese investors are obviously prevalent here in the U.S. Uh, but they are, are quite active, even in Venice, Italy, which I never actually would have known anything about uh, until I saw that sign. So you're exactly right. I mean, you know, you need to target your your marketing, your collateral, your signage, and everything to audiences that you think it's going to resonate with. And evidently, on Canal Front property in the middle of Venice, um, there seems to be a fair amount of demand for for Chinese um, signage. Uh, I thought that was neat. Yeah, yeah, that that is neat. Um, yeah, talk to talk to me a little bit about technology. I know you're really big pro in technology, and with your, uh, you know, your position at ERA, um, you know, you're you're really, you know, putting your foot on the on the on the pedal on the throttle, so to speak, with with technology. Without letting the cat out of the bag, what are some sure. initiatives or things that uh, you see aren't going away, and that agents need to get on board technology wise? Yeah, absolutely. So. A lot of people come to me and ask me, um, you know, is t- technology going to make me obsolete as an agent? Because more and more of what I've historically done, maybe, is visible by consumers online. Um, obviously, the most classic, list, uh, classic example is uh, viewing listings on Realtor.com or on Zillow. Um, and I say to them, you know, to be honest, when I was an agent, just pulling the listings together and showing them to my consumers was a very, very small portion of what I did. So I'm actually happy that consumers can go out there and look at properties, you know, in the privacy of their own homes 24-7 so that they can come to me and say, I like this or that house. And as we all know, as agents and brokers, how a house looks in pictures may or may not be how a house looks and feels in person. Um, Right. And... You know, once they've even found the house, um, that's really when our work starts, right? It's then managing them through the escrow process, helping them through the negotiation, getting their offer accepted in this seller's market that we're in right now over the other folks, right? And deploying some of the, the nifty little tricks that you learn over time of like, you know, making your offer letter seem very personal, submitting a picture mm-hmm, with it, mm-hmm. you know, making it seem like you're the most likely deal to close, if not necessarily the highest offer, you know, all those sorts of things that you really develop through years of practicing in this profession um, that technology, you know, doesn't replace any of. Um, And then ultimately, it's that eight to 10 years of what I call when you're not being paid, you know, where we get calls as local area experts for being, you know, do you have a dog walker, a nanny, a contractor or whatever? Um, and, And, you know, being responsive to your clients for all of those things, even when they're not actively buying or selling, they're just homeowners for that, you know, eight to 10 years. And so none of those things are going to be made obsolete by technology. Technology just becomes an enabler to all of those things. Um, So for us, uh, we view things in technology as a few ways. One, the consumer experience continues to improve. Um, I personally have sold my soul to Amazon right? So I buy entirely too much stuff from Amazon and it knows me 
uncomfortably well by now in terms of anticipating what I might be looking for or, you know, helping me see what I've just recently bought or what have you. And I think the consumer buying behavior is, or buying experience is going to become more and more similar to just whatever else the best of breed consumer shopping experience is, regardless of what you're buying, whether it's a, you know, a Kindle on Amazon, or I'm not paid for by Amazon, by the way, or if sure, it's, sure. you know, buying a home or, or anything like that. So I think that's, that's one thing. I think the consumer experience is going to benefit greatly from that. I think the broker and agent experience is going to benefit greatly too, and it's going to take a heap of money to be able to do that. Um, the way I've uh, equated is it's sort of like your Fitbit. Even if you know what your goals want to be, and even if you're actually quite expert at doing it, it helps keep you on track to know whether you're on or off track to hit your goals any minute of the day. And so that's sort of the direction that we're moving in at ERA mm-hmm. is leveraging the, you know, the technology resources at Realty where we spend over $200 million a year on technology to be able to build out the technologies that there's no way I could possibly afford as an agent or even as a very, very large brokerage, you know. Um, and I think in this day and age of competition, that becomes increasingly important to be able to leverage the resources that a very, very large company like, you know, ERA and Realogy can provide to you because otherwise you end up being a lot less competitive in the marketplace if you don't have those tools readily available to you. Um, so, you know, on the broker side, that's about agent recruitment and how to, you know, keep their businesses profitable and generating, you know, revenue from uh, affiliated businesses like mortgage, title, and escrow. And for agent, it's, you know, how do we help you service your clients better, uh, provide them with better listings, better pictures, uh, follow up with them more quickly, um, you know, keep you on track on a day-to-day basis, leverage your time as much as possible, engage your teams, all those sorts of things. Technology can go a long way in sort of maintaining the best practices that you might have as an agent and broker, but uh, helping you handle it much, much more efficiently and on task. Hey there, it's Michael Lafito. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you are interested in signing up for our luxury listing specialist certification, or if you want additional information on how you can dominate selling higher-end homes in your marketplace, make sure you go to luxurylistingspecialist.com. And you, you, you hit the you hit the nail on the head with that. So, you know, a lot of times agents, especially, hate to be stereotypical here, but the older an agent, they get a little bit more stressed out about technology. I mean, with social media, different websites, that sort of thing. Um, so what I hear you saying is technology can assist you, can make your life easier, but you still got to be, you know... You guys still be game on with as far as knowledge, knowing market trends, knowing the area, knowing you know the ins and the outs of of of, of a property you represent. So, but the other part of it, and I believe Theodore Roosevelt once said, nobody cares how much you know until they know you care. You know, you got to come from a, a a consulting position, not a salesman's position. So you got to you got to care about your clients. You got to know your clients, and technology can assist with the productivity, and so you're more efficient. But hopefully, technology never replaces uh, you know the human element side of things. 
No, it won't. It'll change a bit, obviously. Um, you know, if your claim to fame now is that you think you're the only way that a consumer can see a listing, that ship has probably already sailed for you, right? Yeah. Um, but if you embrace the technology and change over time with it and use the technology to help you be more productive in ways that you don't need to waste that time on anymore, then it really becomes a benefit to you. And everybody's got their own tipping point, obviously. There will be early adopters, there will be later adopters and everything, but, you know, the Internet's not going away, right? And mm-hmm. the, the next generation of what people are building out, you know, even here at ERA, is pretty profound in terms of the impact that it can have um, for the betterment uh, of our brokers and agents in our network. And that's exciting. That is exciting. Um, I wanted to circle back to something that you you brought up, and um, sure. I you, you had mentioned um, you know in, in the market that we're in, and you had mentioned that you're in the seller's market. Um, talk to me a little bit about because I, I believe that in every every market at some price point that the pendulum swings from a seller's market to a buyer's market, and that 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 changes no matter what market you're in, and it's usually somewhere in that luxury space where the shift occurs from a seller's market to a buyer's market, and that's really what we pride ourselves on with our certification or our book um, is giving agents more tools and resources and systems to help their land, their listing stand above the competition to get more eyeball traffic, which increased the, the likelihood of getting them sold. But, but overall, where are you seeing luxury trending? And again, it's all relative, right? Luxury is different in every part of the, the world. But, but overall, the top 10% in your languaging at ERA for distinct properties, how do you see the top 10 highest percentage of, of properties for given markets? Um, do you see it you know, trending more towards a seller's market or buyer's market um, in that top 10, those distinct properties uh, price point? Yeah, so that's a very insightful comment that you just made, right? Uh, luxury properties are sort of at the edges, if you will, of a market, and therefore, because there's a smaller population of people, obviously, that can afford or be interested in those properties, and therefore, as the markets start to change or as the economy starts to slow down in that market, the luxury segment is the first to feel the impact of it, right? So not a, not a big shock. Um, and if you look across the U.S. right now, um, it's a great indication because New York, for example, is very different from L.A., is very, very different from Miami in terms of the market dynamics, even over the last year or so, and certainly where you would expect it to go over the next few years. Um, I just saw a survey the other day that said that of a survey of like 50 economists, of which I am not one, nor do I profess to be one, um, 35 of them, 35 out of the 50, so 70% said that they're expecting a softening of the market, almost a heaven forbid recession to come about in somewhere in the neighborhood of 2000 and tw- or, sorry, 2020 or 2021. Um, and that will really drive if that does come to be, um, you know, a further softening of the market, particularly on the luxury end. So let's say New York, for example, since I'm here now in New York, um, we've seen an increase in the number of transactions and the amount of total volume over the past year, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 7% or so. Uh, but prices have gone down about 6%. Right? So it's starting to become more of a buyer's market. And there's actually a bunch of inventory in terms of uh, new construction being built because they were building it in anticipation of the demand that has been in place over the last three to five years. And now as the market starts to soften, if you were a builder, you'd be getting a little antsy. 
you know, because by the time you get these buildings done, you know, is the demand going to be there that you were anticipating? So that's, you know, that's a good example. Um, Los Angeles, uh, they've been getting a lot of buzz around Silicon Beach. Los Angeles is where I was from. Um, so an awful lot of activity in, you know, Santa Monica and uh, Playa del Rey, those sorts of areas uh, where there's an awful lot of new technology companies coming up, um, so much so that, you know, they're, they're experiencing double-digit plus uh, appreciation a year. And they've already started to see that calm down quite a bit, maybe, you know, almost by half over the past year or so. So, you know, the, the demand is starting to get caught up by the inventory and, you know, the prices are coming down accordingly. Um, same thing in Miami. I mean, you know, that market has actually started to slow down both in sales and prices over the last couple of years or so, um, even while some markets that are outside of, the, outside of like Miami in particular, like Fort Lauderdale or something like that, are starting to pick up. So if you start to see that markets outside of the quote-unquote prime areas are starting to pick up while the primaries are going down. Those are good indications that, you know, you're starting to reach a saturation point in that market. Hmm. Very good. Very, very good uh, information you should. I appreciate that. That's something yeah. we always like to talk about, you know, get different perspectives on, uh, you know, is luxury trending warmer, colder, buyer's sure. market, seller's market. And um, so t- 35 out of the 70, um, predict uh, 2020, we're going to have a, a softening, um, if you will, kind yeah. of a, a bubble, if you will. That's right. Right. But, you know, obviously there are external dynamics, right? So there's not just markets moving through their cycles, as is usual. You also have the new tax laws. So, for example, uh, Trump's new tax, uh, property tax law that, you know, is passing, sort of making its way across the country has a pretty significant impact on areas like New York or California or what have you, because if your property tax withholding is capped, then suddenly you start looking at cheaper homes or moving to areas where it might be cheaper or where the taxes are balanced out. So, for example, there is a, you know, a measurable exodus from New York and New Jersey for people to move down to Florida because Florida doesn't have, you know, or, or Nevada because they don't have the income tax hit. So if you're right. going to, you know, be able to withhold less on your property tax, then, you know, you might have an inclination to try to make it up in other ways, and certainly a lower income tax would, would be one of them. Um, so that is another dynamic that is sort of playing out in, in the U.S. market, and we're already starting to see some of that, too. Yeah, no, you're right. There's pros and cons to every tax law, right? And so, you know, hopefully, um, you know, one potential negative, which is the cap on on the the deduction of property taxes, um, you know, ho- hopefully the the other benefits far outweigh it. But you're absolutely right. The principle of paying extra on taxes just doesn't sit well with most people. I mean, uh, I was selling a property that was over $5 million and the property taxes, you know, part of the reason people are getting out of Illinois, the property taxes were 123000 And just shortly after the new proposed tax law, uh, this buyer had seen it three or four times. And the agent, you know, cited that as a reason he didn't want to pull the trigger. Now, mind you, the agent also shared with me that the gentleman had $50 million in the artwork collection. He was looking at putting an addition on this home just to showcase his artwork. So the uh-huh. gentleman's got $50 million in artwork, but, you know, the, the, the fact that he can only write off 10000 of his 123 and 
property taxes was a sticking point. And so it's amazing. People have different reasons that they want to buy and different reasons they want to sell. But uh, typically, you know, taxes can affect negatively or positively. You mentioned some states there. You know, Texas has got no state income tax and Tennessee, the national area. Those are two markets that are booming as well. Uh, right. because they're very friendly with property taxes as well. Not right. Texas, not as much so as Tennessee. Tennessee, the taxes are very low and no state mm-hmm. income tax. Uh, Texas, your your uh, property taxes are, are cheaper than Illinois, but that doesn't say much. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you raise a good point, right? Uh, for a luxury buyer, by and large, unlike somebody that, you know, needs to get out of a average sales price home or lower than average sales price home because they've just been relocated by their company or what have you. So they need to buy, they need to sell, right? Uh, Luxury buyers, by and large, don't need to do anything. And therefore, if the dynamics or the metrics or the financials change for a given property or what have you, uh, you know, even though it's relatively small relative to the rest of their wealth or what have you, uh, it could change the dynamic for whether they're interested in that property entirely. Um, and that's one of the joys, but one of the tribulations of working within the luxury market is, uh, you know, your client can change their mind on a dime because they don't need to buy the property. Anything could change, and they'd just be like, I'm just going to put it on hold or whatever for a bit. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Well, uh, just a wealth of knowledge. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, tell me a little bit about if somebody wants to find out more about ERA or perhaps uh, they're an, a luxury agent. They want to find out more about the distinct properties. Um, what, what's the best way for someone to do that? Sure. Uh, so for ERA, uh, feel free to log on to www.exploreera.com. So E-X-P-L-O-R-E-E-R-A.com. Um, and for distinctive properties in particular, feel free to log into www.eradistinctiveproperties.com. Dot com. Uh, both of those websites are a wealth of knowledge, and obviously if you fill out an inquiry form, uh, we'd be happy to get in touch with you. Uh, would love to have that conversation. Um, I think one of my challenges as the new brand leader in the company is to you know, make ERA no longer sort of the best-kept secret in the industry and show everybody the technology, the innovation, and this amazing network of collaborative brokers and agents that we have. Um, so I would definitely um, enjoy hearing from any of your... Uh, of your listeners. Awesome. Well, you guys did a kind of a brand refresh several years ago, and uh, you were kind of um, the first to do that, right? So before some of the other companies have, you know, changed their look and their signage and and, and that sort of thing and their logo, uh, you guys did that a few years back. And I like the clean look that you have, and more importantly, love the direction you're going. So keep it up. Um, So thank you for your time, Simon. Um, Again, for the the rest of us, if you want, as I mentioned before, to listen to a previous episode or you're not sure what other guests we've had on our episodes, you can find Luxury Listing Specialist on iTunes or Stitcher or go directly to LuxuryListingPodcast.com. Check out our book. Our book's on Amazon, Luxury Listing Specialist. It's uh, got some amazing content. Or for more information on our Actual certification, 14 modules, over eight hours of content. Go to LuxuryListingSpecials.com. Whether you're a beginning agent or a seasoned veteran, there's some great knowledge, great content, great systems are shared on the Lux certification. Last but not least, text LUX, L-U-X-E, to 72000 for three bonus items, including your ultimate listing blueprint, 
video checklist, and a three-part, free three-part video series. My name is Michael Lafito. Again, send us an email if you have any questions, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com, michael at marketingluxurygroup. Remember, it's not the market, it's the marketing, and continue to prove others wrong. Have an awesome day, and remember to pull people up, more love, less hate. Take care.